So would you grab your Bible with me? And let's say it together. If you believe it, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you again that, well, you are the one who prepares the soil of every heart. Your word tells us that when you release a word, whether it is rhema or logos, when you release a word, that word does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. I thank you that you have prepared the soil of every heart under the sound of my voice today for what you're going to do. Before we begin, Father, I ask for a fresh anointing. Holy Spirit, would you take literal possession of my mind, my mouth? I invite you to flow through me that I would only say what I hear you say. And with the authority you've given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every demonic bird that would seek to snatch the seeds that are going to be sown. I command you to release every person and be outside the walls of this building in Jesus' name. I thank you this is holy ground. And Father, I thank you again today that you are a God who speaks. I thank you that you have prepared the hearts, and as you speak today words that are not going to come out of my mouth, I thank you that there will be ears to hear. Let those words be captured, because Father, we believe one word from you literally changes everything. And so I thank you in advance for what you're going to do this morning, giving you all the praise and all the glory in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, the last number of weeks we have been, we have been talking about the days that we're living in. We began by talking about the difference between foresight and hindsight people and those who have no sight, but mostly talking about people who get to the end of something, look back and understand it, but talking about people who before they go through it, they have the ability to look ahead, understand what's going on, and not be messed up by it. We looked at the person of Joseph, we talked about Joseph having a word from the Lord that allowed him to go through all of the trial. Thirteen years he went through before he ended up at the right hand of Pharaoh. What held him so he did not compromise? What held him so he did not sin? What held him so that all the way through, the word of God says he was successful and he prospered in the bottom of a well, in a prison, as a slave, because God was with him, he prospered. We talked about that. We talked about Joseph having a word, that word holding him. In the last couple of weeks, we have looked at three words that I believe are going to make the difference between those who are able to walk through what's coming and those who aren't in the days ahead. And can I just say again, I don't really care whether the Lord comes back this afternoon or in a hundred years from now. It doesn't matter. The word of the Lord holds people through whatever they go through, whatever generation, whatever century, it is the word that holds them. I want to give you the three words that we've talked about in the last three weeks. I've encouraged you to write them down, encouraged you to find them in the word, encouraged you to brand them, 
Really what we've talked about is those words become a belief system that when you stick them on like glasses, you interpret everything through those words. The first one is this, God is with me. That alone will make the difference in any person's life, doesn't matter what they go through. We're going to talk about that today. The reality of God with us makes the difference. I just want to tell you, there's going to be a lot of church-going people that when difficulty comes, they are not going to remember that because it's not solid, and it's going to be like, I'm alone. Why is God doing this? They're going to miss the reality that God is with them. He's not abandoned them in the fire. He's not abandoned them in the river. He's not abandoned them during the crisis. There will be those who have it and those who don't. That's a reality. The second belief is this. What the enemy meant for evil, God is able to turn and work it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it and work it for good. Where is that found, by the way? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Three weeks ago, we were not as bold as to where that was. Today we are. The third word is this. We know that in all things... God is able to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Where is it found? Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. I want you to think about the reality. It doesn't matter what hits you if you look at it through the lens of, I know that in all things, my God works together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. I know it. I'm not doubting it. I'm not questioning it. I know it. I don't understand it, but I know it. I encourage you again to write those down. I encourage you to memorize them. Last week, we looked at two examples. We did some practice. One of them was in Mark chapter 4, Jesus in the boat with his disciples. We talked about the storm from one side of the shore to the other side. The second one we talked about was the release of COVID-19 and the global agenda that's been behind that. We looked at what the enemy meant for evil and how God was able to turn that for good. I want to ask you one question this morning before I get going, and I want you to think about this seriously. If God showed up in the flesh today and he looked at you and he said, I'm, I'm going to give you a choice. If you want, I will show you everything that's going to come between where you are and when I lift you off the earth and the rapture happens, I will let you know everything that's going to come or else I won't. The choice is yours. If he came and said, if you want, I will let you know everything. If you don't want to, I will withhold it, and I'll just walk with you through the journey. How many of you would go, God, I want to know it all? Just raise your hand. How many of you would do that? Just raise it high. Raise them high. How many of you would go, I don't want to know? Raise it high. Okay. Now, if you're God and you're not schizophrenic, what would you do? 
I think what he'd do is, you, uh, the first group who wants to know, just meet me in the corner during the break, and I'll download it all really quickly. The rest, I'll just be with you. Well, I want to just, I want to let you know something. How many of you know that it was actually the Father's heart through Jesus to let the disciples actually know a number of things that were going to come before they came? Now, I just, I want to tell you what you already know. There is a fascination inside of people to know their future. Why do you think people read horoscopes? Why do you think people go to fortune tellers? Why do you think people have other people read their tea leaves? Why do you think there's other people who go into seances or try and pull up the dead and, and find out why, what is it inside of people that wants to know something about this? Other than the lottery ticket number, other, other than betting on the game and who's... What do you think it is that makes people want to know? I got to just tell you, I, I think this is so amazing. We've heard of a number of churches that during um, fairs, and like uh, I grew up in Westlock, Wacky Saturday. I mean, we got... What do they do down, down the street here that happens? Jay Walker's Jamboree, I mean, Klondike days. There are some churches who go to these events and they set up tents and they put the sign out front that says, we will tell you your future. And people walking by, they look at that and they go, oh, I'm going to get my fortune or my future read. They walk in and here at the table is a born-again, spirit-filled believer that says, just have a seat. You're here because you want to know? and they begin to share with them what the future is. They share the gospel of them knowing Christ and the good things that are coming, and if they don't know Christ, the not-so-good things that are coming. You want to know your future? We'll let you know. And the amount of people who get saved in those tents is amazing. I believe the intent is to scare the hell out of them, and to get heaven into them. And it's quite a creative deal. And little do they know, but outside that tent are a whole bunch of people interceding and praying and warring because they recognize this is witness on the street. Someone came in expecting something, and they walked out with something different. I, I don't recommend this at all. You've heard the story. Believers, born-again believers who actually walk into fortune-telling uh, the, the whole deal, they actually walk into those tents and they sit down and they look at the person and all of a sudden, and this tells you something about the demonic, all of a sudden the person on the other side of the table looks and goes, I can't read yours. And you go, how come? They go, you're a Christian, aren't you? I can't read yours. You need to leave. The spirit in you is messing this up. Would you get out of here? There are people who actually do that for fun. I don't recommend it unless the Lord tells you to. But if he tells you to, have fun with it. If he doesn't tell you, don't do it. But I want to just give you a couple things before we get where we're going. Because the, the reality is Jesus, under the leading of the loving Heavenly Father... He wanted us to know what's coming. In spite of the fact that some of us go, I don't want to know, the Father wants us to know some things. Would you just write down a few? 
We don't, we're not going to look them up. I'll read them to you. You can jot down. Just jot down John 14, 1 to 3, would you? John 14, 1 to 3. I'm going to have Jeff shoot some of these up a little bit later, not yet. John 14, Jesus made this statement. He goes, I am leaving to prepare a place for you. And he goes, if I go, he says this, I will come back. Do you think that it was important for the believers to know Jesus is going, but he's saying to you, in the future, I'm coming back. I want you to know the future, I'm coming back. Can I just tell you straight up, that one word to the believers held them from the time that Jesus left until they died naturally or unnaturally. They had the belief inside of them knowing what's coming, he's coming back again. And can I tell you, it is alive in every believer today, every spirit-filled believer, 2,000 years later, we still have inside of us a word of the future that goes, we know he's coming back. That word changes how people live. That word changes what people believe. That word changes the priority in people's lives. The fact that he's coming back. And can I just help you see the inverse? You got people living who go, after we die, it's just worms. There's no accountability. There's no God. Jesus is not coming back. Yeah, I learned that in Sunday school, but that's kind of bogus. They live without a consciousness of what's coming. Does it change the way they live? If you know he's coming back, there's an accountability. If you live going, he's not coming back. There is no one to come back. You live for the now. You live for the me. That was one of them. Would you write down another one? John chapter 14, same one. Verse 16 and 17, he says this. He says, when I leave, I am going to send you a counselor, the spirit of truth. He's telling them, there is going to be a spirit who's going to come and fill you. You need to anticipate it. You need to look for it. When he comes, he's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. Just write down John 16, 13, would you? He says this, when the Spirit comes, he's going to tell you of what's coming. He said, one of the roles of my Spirit is he will let you know what's coming, what's going to happen before it happens. So I'll tell you what you know. In the book of Acts, after Jesus rose from the dead, and before he left, he said, you go to Jerusalem, you wait, because what I told you, the Spirit is going to come. Don't do anything until he comes. Did they go and wait? They did not move until the Spirit came, and after that, everything changed. I just want to tell you clearly, the heart of the Father, with the Spirit inside of us, wants us to know things before they happen. I, uh, I want to just say this before we get going. We're going to talk about some things today that the enemy would love to take and use it in a very negative way. I want to tell you what I'm going to share with you through the lens of God is with us. God will take anything the enemy means for evil. God will work all things for good. Everything I'm going to share with you needs to be looked at through this lens because if it's not, it has the ability for the enemy to plant fear, the enemy to plant doubt, the enemy to plant a whole pile of things. 
we're going to look at some of these things, and some of this might be difficult to grasp, but I'll tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to help us grasp it and not have a spirit of fear, but walk with a spirit of love, walk with a spirit of protection, walk with a spirit of boldness. I just need to tell you that ahead of time. And so what I want to say is if you begin to sense any of that stuff happening to you, just exercise your authority, just shut it down. Any fiery darts start coming, just, just put, a, put a hedge around that. But some of these things, the Holy Spirit wants us to know. I want to just tell you really quickly, um, and just jot these down again. Jesus told his disciples a few things of what was going to come. Would you write down number one, John 15, 18? He said, the world hates me. The world is going to hate you. He goes, that's what's coming. You need to be fully prepared that the world I leave you in, it's going to hate you. If you expect that you're going to be loved by everybody, if you expect to be everybody's friend, if you expect that they're just going to embrace what you believe because you believe in me, I need to tell you ahead of time, that's not going to happen. If you are not prepared to experience some hatred, you need to get prepared. That's what he's saying. We'll talk about it in a second. Did the disciples experience some hatred from the world? And I just want to say this a little more clearly. Did the disciples experience some hatred from the church? We're going to talk about that. But I want you to hear, Jesus said to his disciples, if you are my follower, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. Can I just say, it's the same for you and I today. Would you write down number two, John 15, 20. He said this to his disciples. He said, if they persecuted me, they are going to persecute you. If they persecute me, they are going to persecute you. I want to ask you very, very clearly. How many of you have ever experienced anything because of your Christian faith that you would consider to be persecution? Just raise your hand. Anything, just raise your hand high. Raise it. How many of you have never had what you would call persecution because of your faith? Just raise your hand. You've never had it. Okay. If I were to ask this in a different part of the world today, if I were to go to Sudan, July 19th, 2020, and I was gathering with a group of Christian people and said, how many of you have experienced any persecution because of your faith? What do you think the response would be? Almost 100%. And it would be a different level. Let me just tell you honestly, what we experience in our life so far has been what we call soft persecution. When we took the team from here and we went to Winnipeg and we handed out Y books, uh, we call that soft evangelism. When you're in your own country, you're staying in a hotel, you're eating your own food, you speak the same language, nobody's going to be coming at you because you're out there with a book, you're putting it on the door, although... A few of us had some really unique encounters with people, but even that was fun persecution, not really. But we call that soft evangelism. 
You go to other parts of the world where people fly in, they can't even tell you what country they're going to be in, because if they did, there would be persecution. There, there are Christians, there's missionaries today that are being persecuted, hard persecution. In the Western world, we don't talk about this a great deal. And we don't talk about it because there has been a cruise ship mentality that says, life will be fairly smooth, it'll be fairly easy, we're just going to, you know, just, just coast, there really won't be a price to pay. And can I just tell you really clearly, can I give you the surefire way that you probably won't ever experience any persecution for your faith? Can I give you the surefire way? Don't ever open your mouth and talk about Jesus and don't let anybody know you're a Christian. That, that's a pretty sure way that you're not going to have anything come at you. I want to just tell you what you already know. How many of you know that when you're a pastor and you get up to the front and you begin to share things, that you're kind of like a gopher who sticks his head out of the hole? Okay, I'm just going to turn around slowly and I just want you to look at the number of shots that have been shot at this gopher head. Okay, would you just have a look? Okay. Somebody, and I think it was Chuck Swindoll who made a statement, he goes, he goes, if you feel a call to the ministry and you can do anything else in life, do it. He said, only go to the ministry if nothing else will satisfy your spirit. He goes, if you can do anything else, do it. There is a price for standing for Jesus. There is a price for standing for truth. There is a price for sharing your faith. There is a price in the work environment for making your faith known when all the other guys are pulling out the pornography and telling the jokes and you go, I'm not into that. I don't believe that. That's dishonoring to my wife. That's dishonoring to God. And it actually pollutes me. When you make that statement, what do you think the response is going to be? If you don't have skin that is thick enough to take the soft persecution, what happens when some of the harder may begin coming? We're just going to talk about a couple of the disciples who actually experienced after Jesus left, the reality of they persecuted me. Guys, I just want you to know they're going to persecute you. Would you write down number three? Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. I have gone to this scripture ever since the Lord showed it to me. It is this statement. I want you to know that you're going to be arrested. You're going to stand before judges, stand before. And when you are up there, just remember, it won't be you speaking, but it will be the Father speaking through you. Go back for a second. He made the statement. He says, not if they arrest you. He goes, when they arrest you. Some of this stuff I think they should have on the sheet before we receive Christ in our life. Do you recognize this might happen, this might happen, this might happen? Do you want to sign up still? The truth is, when you look at the difference of eternity, it's like, no problem. Like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, no problem. We'll go in the fire. God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow because on the other side of the fire is our eternity with you. I just want to tell you really clearly what has happened in the midst of all this COVID. There are those who have the fear of death. They have a belief that if they get it, they're going to die. That belief is on the inside of them. It's the fear of death that has paralyzed them to the core. There's another group of people, death has been plucked out of them. This thing is no longer there. 
death? To live as Christ, to die as... You know how weird that is? Don't, don't say that in the world. That's unit three, talk. But you and I know that to live as Christ, to die is like, woo! But the sting has to be pulled out. We're not going to talk about this, but I just, I just want you to continue ask yourself the question, has the stinger of death been pulled out of you? But Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, when they arrest you, when they arrest you, don't raise your hand because I know some of you will have to. Don't raise it. How many of you have been arrested? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't raise your hand. I don't want anybody to know. I know that a number of you in here have been arrested. A number of you have spent time behind bars. A number of us never have been. A number of us, the thought of being arrested would be like, oh! To spend a night behind bars would be outside my imagination zone. But Jesus said to his disciples, he goes, if you are following me and if you are sharing my name and my message, the world's going to hate you, the religion, you're going to be arrested. Now, I'm going to say this really clear. I'm, I'm not prophesying. I'm not prophesying that we are going to be arrested because some of us are going to be in heaven before that ever happens. Some of us may not be. All I'm saying is, this is what Jesus said, when you are arrested, don't be concerned about what you're going to say. God will give it to you in the moment. Can I just share with you, that verse needs to be tweaked a bit because what he really needs to say is, when you have a non-believer in front of you and you're freaking out that you don't have a Bible school training and you don't have all the verses memorized, don't be concerned. God will speak through you in that moment too. It doesn't take arresting, it just takes an opportunity to share. Do you think that would change evangelism? When you're on the airplane and you're sitting beside the person and God says, I want you to strike up a conversation. Oh, what am I going to say? I'm a lousy speaker. I'm struggling with my own faith. I don't even know. Just, I'll give you the words. Write down number four. To his disciples, Matthew chapter 24, verse 2, he said this. Do you remember the day they were walking out of the temple? And he turns his disciples, he says, look at the temple, guys. He goes, the day is going to come when not one stone will be left on top of the other. Tell me what you think went through them. First of all, what year did that actually happen when the entire temple was torn apart, not one stone was left on the other? What, what year did that happen? 70 A.D. About what year did Jesus leave, go to heaven and leave his disciples? About what year was that? Anybody know? Around 37 A.D. Jesus was probably born in about 4 A.D. He lived for 33 and a half years. He died, went to heaven. So from about 37 A.D. to 70, really what he was saying is, guys, in 33 years, this temple that has been where we have spent our time has been the center of religion. This temple is going to be totally and literally torn apart. 
Now, let me just ask you, what the enemy meant for evil, God turns and works for good. When the temple was torn apart, what was the good that came from it? What was the good? When the religious institution of the temple, where the belief was you've got to be in this temple in order to meet with God, and they held on to that, when the temple was destroyed, what happened to the church? What happened to it? The church scattered out of Jerusalem, and the Bible says it spread to all of the earth. Christians, not just today, but even back then, have a tendency to cluster with their own faith. We've said it before. After two years, they say the average believer no longer has any non-Christian friends. All they are is surrounded by fellow believers. Let's just take the cruise ship until we die. When the temple was destroyed, the gospel went throughout the entire. But he's telling his disciples, the center of religion, this temple, is going to be destroyed, not a single stone. I've got to tell you, I, I don't know this. Some of you might know this better. How many of the disciples, there were 12 of them. Judas was eliminated. He hung himself. They got a new one that came in. They cast lots. There were 12 of them. How many disciples were still alive in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Does anybody know that? John died way later, right? He's the only one who died natural. All the other 11 uh, were martyred. But from 37 AD to 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, does anybody know how many of the disciples were still alive and how many were martyred after? Anybody know? I don't either. If somebody's able to find out, I'd like to... I didn't take the time to look it up, but I, I am sure that there are some of the disciples who actually saw the destruction of the temple. Some of them didn't. Would you jot a couple things down? And I, I want to have you look at this. This is, um, we're going to change this. You were here last week. This is the spot where Jesus left. And over here, was the rapture. So Jesus said to them, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back again. So here is when Jesus left all the way to the rapture, which hasn't happened yet. This is the full 2,000-year span. I want us just to look at a couple things that happened to the disciples in this period of time. Again, a reminder, they wore the lens of God is with me. Jesus said, I will be with you. I will never leave you, forsake you. They held on to that. Everything they went through, they looked at it through that lens. God can take it, turn it, and work it for good. They knew the story of Joseph. Would you write down number one? I only want to look at four. Would you write down number one? Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 42. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 42. And I want to read some of this to you because I want... I want you to hear some of what went on. Verse 17. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the, of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Can I just say, how cool would that be? The angel said, go Stand in the temple courts 
and tell the people the full message of this new life. Can I ask you a question? If you were in jail and it opened up, the angels escorted you out and said, go back into the public square and preach the message. Can I ask you, do you think you would be timid with your tail between your legs? Or do you think you'd be out there going, whoa! I'm going with new excitement, with new zeal. I just want to say this. Maybe there are some in the church who don't share their faith who need a jail-breaking experience to get some boldness. Verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple of the courts. Can I just say that? When, when they got out of jail, when did they go to the temple? What time in the morning? Why didn't they wait till 10 or noon or, or wait till the afternoon and go, well, I'm not sure if we, it's daylight now, they might see it. When did they go? Daybreak. The moment it got light enough to go, they're going, we're not waiting, we're going. At daybreak, they entered the temple of the courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Can I ask you that? Why were they in jail? For teaching the people. At daybreak, they got up, they went to the temple, they began teaching the people again. Look at the verse. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them, so they went back and reported, we found the jail security, securely locked, with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing the report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what could come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you have put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We'll talk about that in a bit. The time is coming even in our lifetime and maybe within the next few weeks or months that we will need to make a choice and go, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our forefathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. These guys were subtle, weren't they? God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sin to those, to the sins of Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those who obey him. Listen. When they heard this, they were furious. Can I ask you a question? Do you think the disciples were concerned at all about ticking off the religious leaders? Can I ask you, do you think the fear of man was still in them? Can I ask you a question? 
Is there any of the fear of man left in you? When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men some time ago. Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Listen to this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Can I just say, I'm not convinced they were so fully persuaded. They called them in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Look at verse 41. Just grasp this. Look at 41. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. What is the next word? Rejoicing. They had been stuck in jail. They got out of jail. They were taken again. They were accused. They were wanted to be killed. They ended up being flogged. They walked out, and what was their response? Let me ask you a question. If that was you, how many of you would have walked out rejoicing? Just raise your hand. Rejoicing is the first thing on your mind. They flogged me. Why did they rejoice? I'll tell you why. Because God was with them. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. And because they believed that God is able to take all things and bring good from it for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They rejoiced. I want to tell you clearly, when we begin to experience some of the things in this world, if we are the generation in the last day and the things that are coming, if we experience those things and we end up rejoicing while people are freaking, tell me what people are going to think of you and me. You're in prison and you're rejoicing? They put you into a mental change facility to change your thinking and you're rejoicing? They shut down your church so you can't worship and you're rejoicing? They came to your home and took every Bible, every praise song, everything connected with Christian literature, they pulled it out of your home because it was not legal, and you're rejoicing? Would you write down number two? Just catch a glimpse of what the disciples... Would you write down Acts chapter 7, verse 54? 
I'm not going to read this one. We know the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven men filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you the call in his life? Stephen was called to serve tables to the widows and elders. Stephen was called, he was chosen after prayer to serve and wait on the elders, to wait on the people, the older people, to serve them food. That was Stephen's calling. And Stephen, in the midst of his calling, had the boldness to open his mouth and talk about Jesus. And when he talked about Jesus, there were those who surrounded them that didn't like it, and so they took him out, and they were going to accuse him, and what does he do? He opens his mouth, he gives the whole litany of the history of the church, then he looks at him and he says, you who killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. Let me uh, just ask you this. The Bible says that there was a man who was standing right by there who had the authority and he took the coats and the cloaks of the people who went and got stones and he held on to them and he approved of his death. Who was this guy, by the way? Saul, who eventually became Paul. Saul took the cloak, stood there, gave the approval for the people to go and in his presence, because of Stephen's faith, they stoned him and he died. I'll ask you again. In our day, in our lifetime, in other parts of the world, are there those who have actually given up their life because of their faith in Christ? Yeah. Do you know anybody in Canada? Let's narrow it down. Do you know anybody in Alberta? Let's narrow it down. Do you know anybody in Camrose who has even got close to giving up their life for their faith in Christ? Just raise your hand if you do. Anybody. Camrose. Alberta. Canada. I want to just ask you a very straight question. Are we prepared? Would we? Could we? If it never crosses our mind and we end up in that spot, we might be in crisis. If it crosses our mind and we end up in that spot, do you think we might be prepared? I will never forget James Dobson made a statement. He said, if two young people find themselves in the back of the car and things are hot and heavy and they try and stop in that moment, he goes, the likelihood of them stopping is not very good. But he said if one of them, before they ever get there, makes a decision and said, I am going to remain pure until I'm married. I'm not going to cross that line. I am choosing to keep myself pure so that when I get to the altar, I can stand there and give myself as a gift to my spouse. That he said, if you make that decision ahead of time, when you get into that back seat, the likelihood of you crossing that line does not exist. That predetermined decision will hold you in the moment. Most of us believers have never had to think about the possibility of in our lifetime, in Canada, in Camrose, in our cushy Christian comfortableness, ever the possibility of having to make a decision, hold on to my faith and die, or shut up, say nothing, let go of it, or even give it up, and continue to live. 
Let me tell you when most of us learn that this happens. Most of us learn this happens after the rapture, during the tribulation. Can I just ask you one question? Did Stephen die during the tribulation? Did Stephen die during the tribulation? I'll tell you, the hope inside of me is not one of us, not one of us will ever have to face that question. That is my hope. But I can't tell you that for certainty. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Would you write down number three? Would you write down Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3? Right after Stephen was stoned, the Bible says this, the church under the leadership of Saul began to be persecuted and they were scattered. The apostle Paul went about and what was he doing? Finding Christians, throwing them in prison, taking them before the courts, approving of their deaths. Write down number four. Write down Acts chapter 16, verse 16 and following. I want to read this one to you because I just think this is so fun. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. This is talking about Paul and Silas. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas began what? Praying and singing hymns to God. Could I just say, might it be good practice for you and I to prepare praying and singing when bad things begin happening. Not begging. Not complaining. Not where is God. Not why is this happening to me. Praying and singing. Can I just say this? Paul and Silas were naked in prison after being flogged That was their condition. Do you remember we talked about some time ago? Creflo Dollar talks about, he said, when God gave me a revelation that we have authority 
And I began realizing that God was wanting to use me to raise the dead. He said, I went to a morgue and I began practicing praying over dead people. How many of you have ever went to the morgue and prayed over dead people? Just to practice. Just to practice. Anybody? No. Does that, does that sound stupid to you? You know what it sounded like to me when we heard that at the Believer's Conference? You know what it sounded like? It sounded like this was a man who had faith rising up inside of him, believing the day's going to come when a dead person's going to be there, and he doesn't want to be freaking going, oh, I've never done this before. He wants it to be able to walk up and go, I'm used to dead. I'm used to cold. I've done through all of that uncomfortable, and now I can walk up, and I'm going to exercise in that moment and watch them open their eyes and come back again. Is it wrong to practice what we think is coming? Might it be good to practice singing and praying in the midst of difficulty now so that if we ever end up in that spot, the first thing that comes out of us is, I guess this is the time, Pastor Call said, we should start singing and praying. We could spend all day going through the disciples' lives. We're not going to do that. I want to just say it again so that it is on the tape. Everything I'm going to begin to share with you today and next week needs to be looked at through the lens of God is with me. God will take what the enemy means for evil and turn it for good. I know that in all things, God works together for good. Those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Unless we look at this through the lens of those beliefs, we're going to miss it. Here's what we're going to talk about. This was the disciples. This is where we are. Because Jesus doesn't know when the rapture is going to happen, I don't know. And any person who tells you they know doesn't know. Like we talked about last week, there are those who are going, we're not in the last hours, we're in the last minutes. There are those who go, don't believe the rapture is going to happen for 200 years. There are those who go, we're just dealing with minutes. With the way things have come down, everything in between. Can I say to you, it, it really doesn't matter. Can I tell you what matters? Is how we live today. And if we wake up tomorrow, how we live tomorrow. And if we wake up the next day, how we live the next day. It's not a matter of, well, if he's coming Wednesday, I better get my act in order. No, no, no. It's my act needs to be in order today. Jane and I just talked this morning. Martin Luther made the statement and said, if I knew God was coming back tomorrow, I'd go and plant a tree today. Be prepared like we're leaving this afternoon. Live like we're going to be here for another hundred years. Last week we talked about COVID-19 being released upon the earth. I used the word released. In the very beginning it was mocked. It was talked about conspiracy theorists. We're now at a point where it has come out in public media. It is a point where it is now public knowledge for those who choose to believe it, that it was a manufactured virus. It was released back in October in China. It was very calculated when and how. All of that is public. All of that is known. All of that is no longer hidden. It's no longer conspiracy. It's been revealed. People are being indicted. The highest doctor in the U.S. military said what has been released upon the earth is not about medical. It's not medical. So we don't even have to argue that anymore. COVID 
the agenda behind it, we talked last week. What we're going to be talking about today and next week is from this point to the rapture, I don't care how long or short it's going to be. Last week we talked about the storm that raged, the furious storm that raged with Jesus and the disciples. We're going to talk about some of the things that may come. I only want to bring up a couple today because I don't want this to go too long and the rest of them we'll talk next week. How many of you, uh, how many of you carry a mask with you now? Just raise your hand, would you? How many of you carry a mask? Raise your hand high. Don't be ashamed. Okay? I have to carry a mask as well. There's places I go to that won't let me in without it. It's just reality. Last uh, evening, Jane and I had an opportunity to uh, spend the evening with our kids, I mean with our grandkids, when um, our son and daughter went out for their anniversary supper, weren't able to do much, so they just went out for an evening, we watched the kids. When they came back again, we were talking about the fact that her family lives in Ontario, they haven't been able to be there, her family hasn't been able to come. And she made a statement and said, in Ontario, the lockdown is pretty serious, and with her family, with her children, um, right now they're at a point where almost all of them, when they go in public, have to wear masks. They have to. We're not at that point yet in Alberta. In fact, let me just tell you, Alberta has the most open, most liberal restrictions of anywhere in Canada. Talked to someone yesterday, and... Uh, they were totally torqued with the restrictions, had to abide by them in their work, totally uh, opposing. But I want to ask you a question. If the government came down and said that for you to leave your house and to enter into public, you have to wear a mask, and if you don't wear a mask, you'll be charged. $1,200 is the, the fine now. $1,200 for not wearing a mask when you're supposed to. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of us would go, that is so bogus. I know this is just crap. Yes, we've heard about the fact that this stuff doesn't spread this way in. Yeah, we've heard this is way less than the normal flu, which has killed almost 60,000 people and we're only dealing with 5,000 in Canada. Oh, can I, can I just tell you, I had a chance to talk to the bishop a couple weeks ago, the bishop sends his greeting to the church. We were talking about what happened with COVID over there. His son and daughter-in-law from Nairobi came to visit him in March, he and his wife. They came out for the weekend. During that weekend is when they closed down Nairobi. Nairobi has how many million people? Anybody know? How many? Yeah, 10 or 11 million. If you go in the surrounding area, it's up to about 21 million that surround Nairobi. They shut Nairobi down completely. Their, their daughter and son-in-law could not go back. They had two daughters that are locked in Nairobi. They can't get out. The biggest issue, there's no work, the biggest issue that the bishop has had is trying to get food to his daughters in Nairobi. That has been the biggest thing, contacting people he knows, finding out who has food, getting it to them. His daughter and son-in-law have lived with them for three and a half months because they've not been able to go back. I asked him, I said, so, I said, has, has COVID really affected Nairobi? He said, 
there has been 250 people reported to have died in Nairobi. Out of 21 million people, 250 have died, but they still have Nairobi in total lockdown. I want to tell you again, with our logic, it makes zero sense. Zero. When you look at it through the eyes of the Spirit, you understand the agenda. You understand what is being set up. You understand what's coming. We'll talk about that more. You just see it incredibly clearly how, in a three-month period of time, the entire globe is prepared for what we never thought would come. But I want to ask you a question. If the government came down and said, you cannot leave your home without wearing a mask at your work, when you're shopping, when you're at the bank, doesn't matter where you are, you need to have a mask. Otherwise, it'll be $1,200. And otherwise, if you choose not to, you will be incarcerated because you are now a danger to society. You become now a person who will threaten the lives of other people by refusing to wear a mask. What would you do? I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't believe there's a single one of us in this room one year ago from now, if I stood here and said, the time is going to come when you will not be able to leave your home without wearing a protective mask over your mouth, you would have looked at me and went, what are you talking about? I know they do that in China. They do that in Mexico where the pollution is horrible. That will never happen in Canada. That's not going to happen in our lifetime. Can I tell you, it's on our doorstep. Inside of some of you, you're going, I'm not doing that. They're never going to shove a mask on me. I'm going to rebel. I don't believe in that. At the other end of the spectrum, there's some who go, well, if that's what it takes to function in society. They're not asking me to deny Jesus. They're not asking me to take the mark of the beast. They're not asking me to, they're not asking me. So right now, if that's what it takes, I'll, I'll, I'll wear the mask. I'll comply. I recognize what's coming. And even though I don't believe in it, I'll do it. And everything in between. This has nothing to do with whether you and I are Christian or not. Can I just make that clear? This has nothing to do with whether or not we're Christian. Can I make this really clear too? The release of COVID had nothing to do with whether we were Christian or not. Have you heard this, by the way? There are those who are blaming Christians for the release of COVID. Hey, don't, don't, don't be surprised by any stuff that's thrown out there. I told you last week there are some who believe that this was God's judgment upon America because they made a decision to split Israel. There are some out there who are going, this is God's judgment on the world. Okay, you're going to hear everything, everything, everything in between. All I'm asking you is this. If the day comes when the government says to you, it is now mandated that you cannot leave your home without having a mask on. When you drive, it needs to be on. When you're at work, it needs to be on. Doesn't matter where you go, until you get back home again, it needs to be on. I just want to ask you, what will you do? Don't say it out loud, don't raise your hand. We are in that day. I want to give you one more before we end today. Don't raise your hand again, would you? In this room, there are a number of us who, when the flu shots came, went and got the flu shot. 
Some of you were smart enough to uh, wait until Shoppers Drug Mart offered you five bucks. And so you said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to profit from it. You've invested your $5, and now it's worth eight fifty, and so it's been very profitable for you. Some of you in here said, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm not taking the flu shot because I understand what it does, understand what it does to your body, understand what it does to your immune system. Uh, I'm not taking that flu shot. Some of you have worked in facilities where you were told flat out, if you want to continue working here, you need to have that flu shot, and if you don't have it, you are not able to report back to work. Some of you had to make that decision. I had family members who had to make that decision. Take the flu shot or lose their job. Already, in Alberta, in our government, if you work in a medical facility, you have to take the flu shot in order to keep your job. If you work in a school, there are some schools who said, if you want to continue working in our school, you take the flu shot. If you don't, don't come back to work. Everybody has to have the flu shot. I have a family member who had to make that decision. The head doctor of the US military said, the COVID-19 virus that was released on the earth is attracted to people who have taken the flu shot because their immune system is compromised. He said they will never tell you, but he said, I can tell you, COVID-19 will never attach itself to someone who has not had the flu shot because their immune system is stronger and it's natural. It will not attach. COVID-19 will not attach to a person who has not had the flu shot. Last week, Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, he came out and said, working with a health organization in Israel, they are recommending beginning this fall that there will be biometric chips planted in every ch child. They're going to begin with the children in Israel, biometric chips planted inside of every child in Israel so that when they go back to school, this chip will help a child identify when they are within six feet from another person. If they're within six feet, that chip will activate and it'll alert the child and they'll be able to back away. He said, we're starting with the children. He said, then we'll move to every citizen of Israel. Distancing, if they're within six feet of another person. No, this is a biometric. All it is is a, is a chip that identifies when you're within distance. In 2017, in 2017, the Parliament of Israel made it mandatory for Israelis traveling abroad to have a chip inside of them going through the airport that has all of their information, all of their personal, all of their flight in order to expedite and speed up transportation. In 2017, it was made mandatory. Before that period of time, it was voluntary. There are modern-day prophets, modern-day people who are looking, pastors and, and people who are, seem to be in the know, who are looking going, I don't understand why Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears to be conservative, appears to be in line with the anti-globalist agenda, appears to be I mean, 
could not have a better relationship with Trump and with the United States, cannot understand why he would be so open to begin chipping their children, begin chipping their adults, begin putting into them the biometrics. I want you to think of this. We are all aware, Revelation chapter 13, we are all aware, and I, I'm not going to talk about this at all. I'm, I'm really not interested in what happens after the rapture. I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not going to be here. People have had opportunity before that period of time. I am not interested in focusing a whole pile of stuff on what's going to take place here. The releasing of the bowls and the trumpets, the, the chopping, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the generation of people before this period of time. I'm interested in our call. What am I supposed to be doing today, tomorrow? This is where we're focusing. If you want this, there's all kinds of stuff out there. You go get it. Revelation 13 is during the tribulation, the mark of the beast. 666, we are all aware of that. Can I ask you a question? I go to my bank in Camrose. Our bank has a security guard that has been there ever since COVID was released. I said to the guard, I said, how long one day, been getting to know him, Kiva knows him very well. I said, how long do you think that you'll be having to be here? He goes, uh, right now it's indefinite. He goes, looks like it will be permanent. They only allow three people in the bank at a time. The rest stand outside or stand in the lobby. He keeps the distance. He's an ex-cop. It was about two and a half weeks after three weeks, we were talking about some other things, and he said, oh, by the way, he said, I just received word today uh, that my time here won't be indefinite. He said, we just received from the Bank of Montreal word that I will be here until everyone is vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccination. Some of you have had to face the flu shot for your career or not. Some of you do not believe in the flu shot. You do not believe in vaccinations. You know enough about it to go, I'm never doing it but you've been faced with it. You've made a choice to take it in order to keep your job. I want you to be prepared, and I hope this never comes, but I want you to be prepared if the time comes down the pike where every one of us is mandated by the government if we are going to be in public, if we are going to be working around any other people it will be mandated that you will be required to take the COVID-19 vaccination. And just let me remind you what COVID COVID stands for. You can Google it, just look it up. Certificate of vaccination, that's already, that's what it stands for. They've already prepared all of the world to be certified in your vaccination. When that day comes and you and I have to make the choice, Can I ask you first, is it a choice that we have to make because we're Christian or not Christian? No. You could be a Satanist, and they're going to say, you need to have the vaccine. I don't want to hear, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself on the inside of you, what are you going to do? I don't believe there's a person on the planet who is not aware of the name Bill Gates. We could talk all day. 
talk all day about what one of the wealthiest men in the world is up to, who has now, in the midst of all this, has come out. He's been talking about it for a number of years, but has come out even more that his organization, the creation of not a vaccine, they've been talking about the vaccine, but talking about the creation of a chip that will be implanted the size of a piece of rice, you won't even know it. A hundred little different things going into that chip implanted. We talk about the mark of the beast happening over here in the forehead or in the hand somewhere during this period of time that we will be required or those on the earth will be required. We're not going to be here. The church will be gone. But those who are left on the earth, they're going to have to make a choice to either receive it or not, and the, the penalty for not is going to be death. The Bible makes that incredibly clear. But I want to ask you a question. If they came to us and said, it is mandatory for you to have the chip that has all of your information, all of your banking information, all of your personal information, next week we're going to talk about moving to a cashless society. John Hagee this past week made a statement. He said, we are now at a point where he goes overnight the government could make a decision and go, tomorrow, we are cashless. He said, we're at that point. Four months ago, we would have looked and said, yeah, that's something we know is coming down the road. I mean, how, it's, how long is it going to take for people to be open to go cashless? How Can I tell you, it took three months for people to be open, for the world to be open, to be cashless. Already, there are coin shortages around the world, coin shortages that are going on. Already, we know there are places going, we do no longer accept cash here because that cash could carry COVID. But have people believed it? Have they swallowed it? Have they taken it? He goes, overnight. We need to be thinking about this, people. I hope it never happens in our lifetime. I'm telling you, I hope it doesn't happen. But if it does, I just want to share with you my, as I prayed about this for years, but it is more imminent today than it ever has been. I do not agree with taking COVID-19 vaccination. I don't agree with it. But because they're not asking me to deny my faith, because they're not asking me to lay down my Bible, because they're not asking me if it becomes law and mandated, I will take it. If it comes to the point where we move to a cashless society, we are no longer functioning with cash, no longer functioning with credit card, debit card, no longer doing it on the phone, but if it moves to the point where we receive, they have to receive the chip in order to buy and sell and to transact. And they're not asking me to give up my faith in Christ. They're not asking me to swear allegiance to a certain leader. They're not asking me to stop worshiping. They're not asking me to stop praying. I don't believe in this technology that's going on here, but I will take it. Now let me tell you what I believe. I believe taking in a cashless society a chip that we can transact will happen here. Oh no, sorry, this is, this is, this is where we are. I believe it's going to happen here. When the rapture happens, every person over here is already going to have it. I believe the time is going to come when every person, and if you've ever phoned the credit card company, you know this to be true. 
you look on your bill and you see that there has, is a transaction that was put on there, not by you. You phone the company, I've done this. And I say, you know what, on this date, here's a transaction. I didn't do this. They go, no problem. They instantly hit a button. They go, your card is now canceled. On the phone, they go, your card's now canceled. We will instantly send you a new phone, a new card. You'll have a brand new number. How long did it take for them to cancel my credit card so I couldn't, or if it got lost, anybody, how long did it take? One second. I don't believe we'll ever experience this, but after the rapture, there's going to be believers. I believe every person on earth will already have the chip. They'll already have it. Having the chip is not the mark of the Antichrist. It is not the mark of the beast. It is not a denial of our faith. Is it a step toward it? You bet it is. But after the rapture, when the Antichrist comes down and says, you will not be able to transact without this allegiance to me, you go, I'm not swearing allegiance because there will be Christians after. They're going to be people saved. They're called the... the the, the rapture saints, right? There will be. Tribulation saints. If, if there are those who have the chip transacting the whole time, just imagine Superstore, okay? It doesn't matter where you go. You just swipe your hand. That's, that's all you'll do. They go, you swear allegiance to the one world government or else this will not work. And you go, I'm not swearing allegiance. I'm not giving up my faith. How long will it take to deactivate your chip? One second. And it says in that day, without it, you will not be able to buy, you will not be able to sell, you will not be able to in one day. Now, if you've ever read the Left Behind series, if you've ever watched Jerry Jenkins, Tim LaHaye, they did some amazing things for writing some things, pulling it out of the Bible and, and making this thing happen. In that book, they talk about a whole underground world that develops by people who refused to swear allegiance to the beast. That may happen for a while. Let me say it again really clearly. Because of the fact that it opens over here, happens over here, I don't care. Let me tell you what I care about. For you and I as a believer, if the government comes down as things are working toward the one world government, the removal of the church, and the rapture, or the rapture taking place, and the tribulation, if they come to us and say, you will need this to transact, I'll take it. Some of you won't. It's okay. They will come and go if you don't have it. Eventually you cannot transact, you cannot buy, you cannot sell. There may be an underground that begins even before the rapture. There may be. But until they ask you to deny your faith, until they ask you to swear allegiance to a different God and a different Lord, don't get it confused. I hope that never happens, guys. I hope the vaccine never happens. I hope the biometric trackers never happen. I hope the cashless chip thing never happens. I hope it never happens. But if it does, 
or when it does. I believe the Spirit of God wants us to be prepared. I believe he wants us to know of things that are going to come so when we get there, we have already thought about it, we've already prayed about it, we've already went before God, we've already got it settled inside of us, what we're going to do. When the world is freaking, I believe that we need to be a voice of hope, a voice of peace, a voice of calm, a voice of Christ. That means being prepared. That is only two of 13 I'm going to share with you next week. All of this through the lens of God is with me. What the enemy means for evil, God will turn and work for good. And I know that I know that I know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is you and me. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Worship team, would you come? Zach, could I have you pull that away again? Father, I thank you that when Jesus was on earth, that you told him to prepare his disciples for some of the things that were going to come in their life so that when they experienced them, they were not shocked. Instead, they anticipated and they counted themselves worthy Worthy of being persecuted for your name. Worthy of being flogged for your name. Worthy of being imprisoned for your name. Father, today we have talked about a few things that have nothing to do with our faith, but it is the day that we live in moving toward the appointed time. I thank you that you've given us your spirit. And you said he will tell you of those things that are going to come. So when they come, you will interpret them properly and you will be prepared for them. Father, I ask that you would seal your words. That which was from you today, would you seal it? What was not from you, let it be forgotten. I want to say thank you What an absolute privilege it is to be a child of God in this generation, in these days. To be alive and to see the nation of Israel restored. To be alive and see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled. To be alive, whether it's the last minutes, the last days, or the last year. To be alive in these days, we want to say thank you. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to take us into your word and to open our eyes to see things we've never seen before. We invite you to prepare our hearts and our minds for that which is coming. We invite you to make us into a people who, in season and out of season, are prepared to give a word to those in the world that don't have our hope, don't have our promises, don't have our lens. Father, to make us instruments that bring in the harvest, We declare today we will not be silent. We declare today we will get off the comfortable Western world cruise ship. We declare today that we invite you to set us on fire and watch 
have the world watch us burn and be drawn to you. We declare today we will be a people who walk by faith and not fear. Standing as lighthouses in the midst of the darkness that is rolling in like a fog and giving the lost hope. Father, inhabit the praises of your people for the glory of your name.